so here we are. Um, we are 10 days into the new year, so 10 days uh, into 2021. And now, now last year, uh, last year was a great year for, for, um, for dad jokes and cliches because being 2020, we could use the phrase, uh, I've got 2020 vision. We could use that uh, quite often. And so a lot of people had this slogan of uh, 2020 vision, and we talked about how great a year it was going to be, and no one had the 2020 vision to see what kind of a year 2020 really was going to turn out to be. But tentatively, after this whole year, after or that whole year, people were sure that uh, there had to be nowhere to go but up, and that 2021 had to be better than 2020. 2021 had to be better. But as we saw already, six days in, and rioters are storming the Capitol building of our closest neighbors and friends. And so who knows what kind of year 2021 really is going to be? Who knows what it's really going to be like? The thing with New Year's, though, or, or New Year's Eve, is that with the starting of a new year, a lot of us do the thing called New Year's resolutions. And so Pastor Jesse talked about New Year's resolutions in his children's story already. And this thing about New Year's resolutions, a lot of us do it. A lot of us make them or have them. Perhaps you've made them or had them. Uh, perhaps you are still adhering to them. Perhaps, even though it's only been 10 days, you've already given up on them. Personally, I don't do New Year's resolutions. And I don't do them for the same reason that my wife gives me heck for having to do that right now when it comes to a project around the house. She says all the time, you have to do that right now. Can't I wait till tomorrow? I have this thing where if I can do it right now, I'd just rather do it right now. Why would I wait till tomorrow to do that thing? Because if I wait till tomorrow, then the rest of today, it's just going to bother me. Why? Like, I, I could be doing that. So I can't, I can't relax when I know there's something that I was going to start tomorrow. I, I might as well just start it right now. And so if I was going to make a New Year's resolution, I, I would just generally be starting the day after I came up with the idea. So unless I, I chose to not think about it all year and finally on the 31st of December think of something, then I could, suppose, make a New Year's resolution. But generally, if I've got some new habit or thing I'm resolving to change or start up with, I'll just do it the next day. And that's just me, though. Uh, I, a lot of people make great New Year's resolutions. Uh, a lot of people make them. And so last year, I, I believe I shared part of this list or some of this list, but here are the top New Year's resolutions uh, for this year. So this list is current for New Year's resolutions, the top New Year's resolutions this year. And so we've got uh, exercise more. I think there's a slide actually for this, Ryan, if you don't mind. I think it's one above or one next. Well, one. We'll get it. I think. There it is. Yes. Okay, good. I want everyone to be able to see this because this is a good list. Um, so lose weight, get organized, get fit, uh, learn a new skill or a new hobby, quit smoking, uh, live life to the fullest, spend more time with family and friends, travel more. I don't know how we're going to do that this year. Travel more, read more, love more, exercise more. And so, so those are the top New Year's resolutions for this year, for 2021. And as I look through that, I see some common themes. I see some commonality in, in those things. I see some things that uh, are share similar ideas, similar paths. There are a few that center around this idea of, of changing your trajectory or tra changing your, your, your path, your purpose. Uh, things like your life to the fullest. That's, that's a bit ambiguous, but it gives the idea of you're changing perhaps the way you live your life. Organizing your life, that might mean physically organizing or even just structuring the way in which you set about your goals and your purposes in life. And so they center around changing your path or your purpose or your trajectory. 
There are a few that sent around things like changing yourself, uh, losing weight, quitting smoking, eating better, etc. They're changing your physical uh, person. And then there are a few that center around things like uh, changing your, your lovingness. Uh, and that's a word that I've made up. I'm going to use it like it's a real world. So, so, so changing your lovingness. Things like uh, love more, spend more time with your family and friends, those things. Now, from those, those 11 or 12 things, uh, New Year's resolutions, I drew up three conclusions that I've made about things that can change or things that do change. Uh, perhaps things that we are a part of changing or things that, that naturally just change or things that, that we want to change. And so things that change. I've drawn three conclusions. The first conclusion is that culture changes. The second conclusion is that people change. And the third conclusion is that love changes. And so things that I, I think change. And I want to compare each of these three things that I believe change against three scriptures about our God. So we're going to look at each of these and weigh them against some scripture. And so the first one I see, the first one we can talk about, is that culture changes. Now, culture changes, and we know that. Culture changes a lot, and very rapidly, too. They say that culture changes a complete change every three years. A complete change every three years. It changes so quickly in, in many different facets of what changes in culture, too. I mean, it changes in its nature of, of what's cool, what's not cool, what's in, what's out, what's the new trend. It changes all those things, but culture also changes where society is headed, uh, what is important in society, what is important as a group that we aim towards, what are things on our trajectory or our plans that we are headed this way. Uh, an example is when I, when I was growing up, and I'm going to date myself here, when I was growing up, pogs were still cool. And if you're a true 90s kid like me, then you know what pogs are. Pogs were still cool. Yo-yo in style. Uh, Linkin Park was one of the go-to bands of the time. They just dropped one of their first albums. The internet was still sort of just coming into its own. Uh, it was a thing that many people would end up having, but we didn't all have in our homes yet. Uh, Facebook wasn't really a thing yet when I was growing up. We had MySpace and, and, and Google and Yahoo when I was growing up were actually, we were not established of who was going to be the search engine king. I remember when I was growing up, you could use many different search engines. And now, 30 years later, nearly everyone has Facebook and no one uses MySpace. And I, I, I don't think I can ever say I've heard the phrase, let me Yahoo that. But I hear the words, let me Google that, as common lingo. And so culture changes very rapidly. But culture has not only changed what's cool or what's in or what's trendy or what's not, but it also changed its trajectory of what is important, what is valued, where we are headed and where it continues to head. Uh, the nature of living for self continues to grow. More and more and more our society is encouraged to live for self, live for yourself, to put yourself first. More and more we're challenged in that way of this me first kind of attitude, uh, and it prevails in a lot of what we do. And so culture has changed a lot, not just what's cool, but it has changed its trajectory, its goals, where it's headed. Now I want to read John 1 verses 1 to 3 in light of this. And so it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through, all, all, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In the beginning was the word. Now the word that is used here, the word word, 
It's likely in your version capitalized, and, and some might not know why it's capitalized. Mine was capitalized in the ESV and the NIV. The translation of that, of the word in Greek is logos. Now, unlike when a Greek philosopher would use the word logos, John is using it here to describe a specific thing. He's using it here to actually describe Jesus. He's giving the word logos a proper, uh, he's making it into a proper noun, not just a thing. So John is using the word logos uh, to describe Jesus. That's why the W in, in word is capitalized, because it's using it to describe Jesus. And so when we read this, instead of reading the word was with God in the beginning and the word was God, we could actually just substitute the word Jesus in there. So we could read it as, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Why does John start his book like that? Why is it important for John to start by saying, yes, uh, Jesus was with God at creation. At the beginning of the world, Jesus was there. Why is that important to know? Because if we, if we logically think about what we know about the Trinity, that they are three persons yet one God, we could just make the assumption that because they're not separate, that of course they were all present in the beginning. Of course. Uh, our theology of the Trinity says that they have to have been there. Otherwise, God would have created one of them, and that's just not what we know. So, so why is it important that John starts his book this way? He starts it by saying Jesus was there in the beginning. Well, because what it shows is that Jesus was God's plan from the beginning. Jesus was part of God's plan and his purpose for the world from the very beginning. Jesus coming to earth, dying for our sins, this wasn't some afterthought where God went, oh man, I've got no idea, I don't know, maybe Jesus, you go on, you try something out. Right, it wasn't God calling an audible because everything had gone askew and he had no control anymore. What John is saying is that Jesus was there in the beginning and he was part of the plan for the world from the very beginning. God knew what was going to become of the creation. He knew everything that was going to happen. And he knew, and Jesus was part of that plan. Because nothing surprises God. God knows everything about the future already. He knows each and every day what will happen. Psalm 139 verse 4 speaks about this. It says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. See, God knows, goes and know what the future is for everything right down to the very next words that will come out of your mouth. God already knows what you're going to say before you say it. And so God wasn't surprised by what happened in the world. It wasn't some afterthought to send in Jesus, you know, to take out the one quarterback and put in a new quarterback. That's not what happened. Jesus was with God in the very beginning. He was part of God's plan and part of the trajectory from the very beginning. Hebrews 6, 17 says, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purposes very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Now that middle part, I think, is very important. The part where it says the unchanging nature of his purposes. See, God's purpose, God's plan, it never changes. It never fluctuates and becomes this new path and comes over here. God's plan is set from the very beginning. So the first thing that we look at is that even though the trajectory of culture changes, even though the goals and the plans and the aims of culture change, God's plan, God's purposes, God's trajectory, none of that ever changes. God's will, that doesn't change. His purpose, his plan remains the same, constant. Now the second thing that I said changes was I said that people change. 
And so I think people do change. A lot of our New Year's resolutions have to do with changing ourselves. We want to change our diet or perhaps change our image or perhaps change our, our, our fitness level or our, our intelligence level or, or any of these things. We change. We are able to change. Now, some people will say, oh, people don't change, people can't change. But that's just empirically not true. The evidence shows that people change. People are capable of changing, and people change all the time. We can change our physical natures quite easily. Uh, we, we can eat differently and do different exercises, and we can then change our physical natures. We can change our intellectual natures. Perhaps we'll read more, or we'll go back to school or take some courses. So we can change our intellectual natures. We can change our emotional or our mental health natures by working through uh, some counseling or some self-help, by really taking some constructive feedback and looking at where we are in life. We can change our emotional and mental states. And so people, it seems, can change, and people do change. We change through many different events or traumas in our lives or times in our life. Traumas happens to be one of the biggest things that changes people. I was in a canoeing accident about five years ago, and a friend who was canoeing with me passed away. And, and that changed me. It changed me still today. I am changed by that incident. For a couple of years, I was actually afraid of water and scared to go back in a canoe. And even now, I am much more cautious and much more uh, deliberate and safe uh, in conscience when I'm around water or when I'm around canoeing. I'm much more aware of that. My nature has changed a bit because of that trauma. Other things change people, too. Other events in our life change people. Parenting changes people, of course. Uh, I'm sure we've all had friends um, or family members or even ourselves who, who used to be that carefree, up all night, having a great time, sleep in all day, uh, spend your money on whatever toys you want kind of person, and then you have a kid, and all of a sudden you're trying to go to bed by 9 o'clock so that you can get up at 6 uh, you're spending money not on anything unnecessary, but you're instead putting it into RESPs and RRSPs, and you're putting rules into place in your house. Uh, kids change. Parenting changes people. My, my, my belly's a bit of the proof that people, uh, kids can change you. It, it's people change. It is in our nature to change. As you grow up, you're constantly changing. As you mature, you're constantly changing. Your character, your physical things, your nature, all of that changes. Now, I want to contrast that with Hebrews 13.8 where it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And with Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27, where it says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands, and they will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like clothing you will change them, and they will be discarded, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. See, God remains the same. Jesus remains the same. His nature, who he is, remains the same. It doesn't change. We don't see Jesus' nature changing at all throughout his life. Physically, he grew up as a young boy into a man, and so physically there were some changes, but his nature, his character, who he was, never changed. Even amidst the worst trauma, Jesus' nature remained the same. And two of the craziest examples, I was thinking about this week, I thought, here's some great examples of Jesus' nature remaining constant. Uh, one was in the garden when he was arrested, and two was on the cross when he speaks to his mother. In the garden, and this is the account from uh, Luke 22, uh, the garden, they're all sitting there, and one of the disciples, they're, they're approached by the, high ser or the, the servants of the high priest and some guards, 
and, and the disciples are approached, and they're going to arrest Jesus, and one of the disciples, and it's assumed it was Peter, whips out his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Whips his sword out and cuts off the ear. Now, I don't know if that was just an amazingly aimed strike, or if Peter is just really bad at aim and meant to go a bit lower, but ended up hitting the ear. Either way, he cuts off this guy's ear. Now, these servants, these soldiers, they've been sent to arrest Jesus. They're going to take him away. They're going to beat him. They're going to hang him on a cross. And Jesus knows all that is about to happen. He knows that all of those things are going to happen. And so these guys come to do this, and, and Jesus' friends want to fight back. And not once does Jesus shout, yeah, go get him, right? For Sparta. He doesn't shout any of those things. He doesn't get all excited. He doesn't try to run away and hide. He doesn't, like, karate chop one of the high priests. None of that happens because his humble loving, servant-hearted, non-violent nature remained the same. He takes the ear, he picks it back up, and he puts it back on the man, and then he turns and he says, no more of this. He says to the disciples, he says, no more fighting, no more of this. Right? His nature in the middle of a very intense event didn't change. We see it again in another example in John 19 when Jesus is hanging on a cross. He has been beaten, he's been tortured, and he's dying. And he looks out, and he sees his mother standing there, and he sees his friends standing there watching him. They're watching him hang on a cross, they're watching him die. Now, any normal person hanging on a cross is going to be overwhelmed with emotions right then. They're going to be screaming to get them down. They're going to be saying, do something. I would be inciting all of my friends to fight and do something and get me down, but not Jesus. His nature of coming to serve, not fight. His nature of coming to die, not rule on an earthly kingdom with gold and crowns on his head in the earth. None of that ever changed. What does Jesus say in this traumatic moment where he's hanging upon a cross? John 19 says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, this is your son. And then he says to the disciple, he says, Behold, this is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. In some of Jesus' very last words, his concern was not for himself. His concern was for his mother. His concern was that his mother would be looked after and his mother would be cared for. Jesus' nature never changed. God's nature never changed. His character does not change. His character has remained the same for all eternity and will remain the same for all eternity. As people, our nature, our character is in constant flux. It's constantly changing and improving and detracting, but God's nature remains constant. His character never changes. And this character that I talk about that never changes includes the last point that I want to point out. This, this last point is actually tied in and is part of God's nature uh, or God's character, but it's so important that I want to highlight it. The last point I want to make is that love changes, but God's love never changes. So love changes, but God's love never changes. See, our love is often subjective. Uh, our love is often conditional. Now, we love people, uh, but it's conditional upon them being deserving of that love. It's conditional upon them uh, being worthy of that love. We love people, but we simply don't love them perfectly. We talked about this a lot a few months back when we talked specifically about love for a few weeks. We have different types of love. We have romantic love. We have brotherly love. We have love for things. We have affection. We have all these different types of love. Like, I love my dog, and I really do, even though he's an absolute uh, bit of a moron, but even though I, he's a bit of a moron, I love him. 
But the love that I have for my dog and the love that I have for my wife are not even in the same arena, let alone on the same playing ground. They're just not the same. The love that I have for my friends or for our congregation is a different kind of love, too. And see, our love changes as well. We don't just have different types of love, but our love also changes throughout our life. I'm sure we can look back and see past romantic relationships where we were sure we were in love, and we very well might have been in that romantic love. However, that love changed, didn't it? Something in that love changed. Something in that love changed. Perhaps it was something you did, and that love changed. Or perhaps it was something that the person did, and that love changed. Or perhaps that love just naturally diminished over time. Whatever it is, your love for that person changed. And not only does sometimes our love diminish, but our love also grows. Our love gets stronger. Uh, I love my wife more and more each and every day. And every day since I've met her, my love has grown. But for my love to grow means that there was room to improve. There was room for it to get better or bigger or more perfect. There was room to, to improve. But see, not God's love. God loves us perfectly already. Nothing you can do will cause God to love you more or less. There's no action that you can do well that will improve how much God loves you. His love exists in perfection. To say that God's love would grow or diminish based off of our actions is to say that God's character fluctuates. And we already know that his character is perfect and he doesn't. See, our love is not perfect because by nature we aren't perfect. But God's love is perfect because by nature he is perfect. We try to reflect this love that we see from God, the love that we are shown, the love that he, he bestows upon us, but we can't. We just can't accurately reflect that love because we don't exist in perfection. An example I have of this is I'm supposed to love everyone, and I do know this. I'm supposed to love everyone, serve everyone, treat everyone with kindness and grace, and treat them with the same love that God shows me, and I know that. But when I'm in line at no frills, and I have three items, and the person in front of me has 30, and we're both in the 10 items or less lane, well, my emotions get the better of me, and I might not feel love in that moment for that person. What I might feel is frustration or annoyance, and I might even want to tell this person, like, hey, can't you read? It's 10 items. You have 30. Go over there, right? And, and my impatience gets the more of me. And so even though I know I'm supposed to love that person, I'm not perfect, and so in that moment, I might not reflect that love. The love that we reflect others is not perfect, even though we might try. Think about your relationship with your husband or your wife or, or your family members. The love that you have for your spouse or your family is likely the strongest loves in your life. But even that love, we know, is not perfect. There are times in our relationships where we act selfishly. We put ourselves first. Even though we love the other and we want to love them just as God loves us and we want to show that love to them, we put ourselves first on occasion or we act selfishly, or we say a word that perhaps we don't mean because we're angry or frustrated. We act in a way that isn't loving towards them because our love is not perfect. We don't accurately, perfectly reflect the love that God shows us. And so our love changes. Our love fluctuates. But see, God's love never changes. God's love doesn't fluctuate. His love remains the same today, yesterday, and forever. God's love is not conditional. His love for us never runs out. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I have loved you, so he loved you in the past, and he's loved you with an everlasting love, a love that will continue forever. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's the faithful God 
and he keeps his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And finally, Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God's love is not conditional upon you being perfect first to deserve it because God, Jesus, died for you when you were a sinner. So he died for you before you were looked at as perfect in God's eyes. So he died for you when you were still a sinner. And God's love doesn't run out. It says it extends to a thousand generations. It extends to an everlasting love. So his love doesn't run out. But our, as people, our love is not perfect, and it does change. But see, God's love is perfect, and it never changes. And so those are three things that I think change in contrast with our God who doesn't change. Now, perhaps this year you've made some New Year's resolutions, and you've decided there are some changes to be made in your life. And that's okay, because you're not alone in trying to change. Many people are with you right now. We're constantly trying to improve or better ourselves or grow closer and as we've seen this week, the world also is a rapidly changing place. A year ago today, no one could have predicted that this is how we would be doing our Sunday services in 2021. I actually remember the, the week before we shut down for the first time back in March, I was sitting in our staff meeting and I said, oh yeah, yeah, like we might be closed for, you know, March break. We'll be back and we can do our Easter thing and all these things. We couldn't have predicted that we would spend half of 2020 worshiping virtually. The world is a rapidly changing place. Culture changes too. Culture changes in a moment's notice. All of a sudden, the place that you thought we were headed as a society or as a culture, we're no longer headed in that direction, and now we're headed to this important thing. We're headed over in this direction. And amidst all of this change, the most important thing that we can remember is that even though people change, culture changes, and love changes, God never does. God remains the same today, yesterday, and forever. In an ever-changing world, we have a never-changing God. In an ever-changing world, we have a never-changing God. And that God, it's that God that we place our hope and our trust in and our love in. And so may 2021 and all the changes that come with this new, uh, this new year and this world, may all these changes reflect the glory of our Lord. And in everything we do, may we praise Him. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are never changing. Lord, thank you that your love never, never stops. Your love never runs out for us. Lord, thank you that your, your cup never empties. God, that you constantly overflow. God, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, thank you that your nature exists in perfection. Lord, we are we're imperfect, and at try as we might, we, we don't accurately reflect you. And so, Lord, we're sorry when we fall short of reflecting your glory and your love and your hope and your grace to people. And so, Father, we just ask that you would continue to show us your nature and your person. And Lord, may we continue to, to better reflect that to the world around us. May we continue to, to better reach our neighbors and our friends with love, to better show your grace and hope to others. And Father, would you just continue to be so present in our lives and in the lives of people around us that, God, people would just see you. God, we just... We praise you for what you did through this church and in our lives in 2020. And Lord, we're just so excited to see where you take us in 2021. And so God, may everything we do be done for your glory. May everything that is done here be, be done for you and your spirit. May none of the glory go to us. So Father, we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.